three this morning. No place for oppression. No place for oppression among God's people. We have a great Savior. I said we have a great Savior. There is no Savior like our Savior. There is no Lord like our Lord. We sang it this morning, how great is our God. How great is our God. Everybody in here has a testimony, I'm sure, of the greatness of God. And those of us who continue to look at it and see it and are thankful for it have testimony every day. Every day. There's never a day without testimony of the greatness of our God. Today's message is going to be focused really in the direction of escaping oppression to be able to experience experience the Lord's presence and power. Because oppression will keep you from that. Oppression will keep you from the experience of the Lord's presence and His power. How many people have you ever ministered to before who were so oppressed and you tried to talk to Jesus about them, but they were so oppressed they wouldn't even listen? Have you ever been that oppressed that you know you should be in the Word, but you're so oppressed you feel like it'd be a waste of time if you opened it and looked at it. Oppression will keep us from experiencing the love of God that has already been shed abroad in our hearts. We, I'm talking about all of us. We know, everybody knows what I'm talking about. We can be oppressed, and that word as we've defined it in the past couple of sessions is to be violated, really to be abused spiritually, really to be stolen from, raped, to have something stolen, your freedom, your liberty, your joy, your peace. And I'm telling you, you can go to church and sing, I'm taking it back all day long and leave and you ain't took nothing back. Not until we surrender to the truth of Calvary. Not until then will we find oppression being sent far away. Because the promise to us through Isaiah is that God will establish his people and oppression will be far away from us. Amen. That's where I want to walk in the place that God establishes me. Now, I don't always have to be allowing him to be establishing me. I was established when I was born again. But just like a sign on the store says established in 1853, if it's not still open for business, it is no longer being established. When you were born again, God established you in his righteousness. But he wants you to experience that righteousness. And these last day ministries God is raising up, they are ministries that will always focus on righteousness. They will have 
Jesus and what he did at Calvary as the focus because that is the only avenue that righteousness can be heard, received, and experienced. It's the only place. Doing right does not mean it's righteous. The Holy Spirit working that which is right in and through us, God sees that is right, righteous. Amen? So we'll start this morning here in this session. And by the way, I have it here written so I wouldn't forget. Happy birthday to little Rowan and Elise Self and who else? I'm just testing you. And I want to also have it written here to tell Brother Robert, who I don't see, thank you for the water that he is sending us to camp with. It's more than you're going to drink. And uh, everybody else who brought stuff, supplies for youth camp this year. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. Are you there? I hear pages turning. I can't hear those biblical electronics. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 24 says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with men's hands, which are the figures, the types, the shadows of the true, but Christ has entered into heaven itself. Now, to appear in the presence of God for us. Everybody say, for us. Christ has entered in to heaven itself. Now, to appear in the presence of God for us. Because Christ is at the right hand, and because Christ is the right hand. Of God. There in His presence, we now can have His Spirit. It's the only reason we can have the Spirit of God because Christ shed His blood, became the new and eternal great high priest, and is seated in His seated. Next time He gets up, it'll be to come for you. He's seated at the right hand, which He is. Of the Father. And because He's there, He just because He's there, the Bible says He ever lives to make intercession for you. Him being there is your intercession. He's not begging God the Father for anything for you. He is to God the Father everything for you and to you. Him being there is my intercession. And him being there is what allows me to have his spirit here now. See, you have the spirit of God. You know, you received the Holy Spirit when you were born again. The spirit of God dwells in you. I can't cut your body up in a million pieces and find him because you can't find a spirit in the natural eye. Not yet, anyway. 
but the Holy Spirit dwells within you. The same thing happened with Jesus. The fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus' body, the Bible says. But they couldn't see the Holy Spirit. They couldn't see the Father. All they could see was Jesus. But yet Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He represented him perfectly. And he told his disciples, (coughs) when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, you'll know him because you know me. And because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, when he was seated, he then received the Spirit of God that he could send to us. And that's how Pentecost happened. Jesus left. He was seated at the right hand of the Father. He received from the Father the Spirit that he could send to us. And that's how the indwelling Holy Spirit is in us to the earth, through the cross, through the grave, ascension at the right hand of the Father. And let me say it again, who is the right hand of the Father. And because he is there now in the presence of God, you have his spirit. You have his spirit. You have nothing to fear because the spirit of God dwells in you. But one of the most profound things the Lord has ever shown me in the Word has come through this pulpit over the last few weeks. I hope you've recognized it. I hope you've seen it. And that is Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. That Just because you have the Spirit of God does not mean that you're in fellowship with your Savior. Jesus is knocking on the door of the Laodicean, born-again, probably spirit-filled church to get back into fellowship with them in which he is not. They have his spirit, but they are not in fellowship with the one of whose spirit they have. Is that not scary? I've never, I've never had that thought before ever, ever. I'm sure most of you, all of you probably have, but I'm slow. And the Lord showed me this, that you can have my spirit but not be in fellowship with me, which is what my spirit is for. There is no greater thing that God gave us the spirit of his son to do than to be in fellowship with him. Nothing. Because it's through our fellowship with him that everything else is accomplished with him. Remembering, he said, you can do nothing without me. That means out of fellowship from me. So let me say it again. Over the past few weeks, the Lord has made this comment and referred us to Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. I've heard many preachers preach that in the light of a lost world. It's not to a lost world. It's a letter written to a saved church. So as we move into this message today, We must understand that the church of Laodicea were oppressed because if you're not in fellowship with Jesus, you're oppressed. You're being violated. 
violated. You're being abused by a lie. Amen. And that's why we have this message this morning because if we're being oppressed, the Bible is clear about what will deliver us from that. Lest you grow weary and faint in your mind, what what does it say to do? Consider the one who endured such contradiction of sinners. The Lord will always take you back to Calvary's view because there oppression has to leave. And it doesn't go just outside the door and hang out. It goes far away. And any pastor would be burdened and grieved over a congregation who was being oppressed, who had the Spirit of God but yet was without the fellowship of the Savior. And there's only one thing that determines the return of fellowship with Him. And it's not having His Spirit because you already do. It's the object you put your faith in which is what he did at Calvary. It is what brought us into fellowship with him. And when we move it away from that, it is what separates us. We're not lost, but we are not in fellowship with him, even when we think we are. And that's why throughout the years, the Lord is revealing that most of what's going on in Christianity today is make-believe. It's vain. That's not an ugly statement. Let me read you something. It's down lower in my notes, but it seems like a right time to go to it. And then we'll go back and work our way through this today. 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. I hope you would lay eyes on it. This morning with me. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, He will forsake you. Watch verse 3. Now for a long season, everybody say long season, Israel had been without the true God. And this is not the only time in the history of Israel that this had happened. We recently heard and saw in the scriptures where Israel went three to four hundred years without observing Passover. That's what made them who they were. The Passover is what made them who they were. The people of God through faith in the sacrifice. 
three to four hundred years without observing the Passover. They reached a place in King Josiah, a young, young boy's life, that when he was made king at eight years old, I think it might have been around the time he reached age 16, he, he, something was going on in his heart, and, and somebody found the book of the law buried up, just gotten rid of, buried up under a bunch of stuff and brought it to him, and his heart was convicted. The things of God were just thrown out. It's the same way when Jesus showed up. Israel was in a mess, a bigger mess than they'd ever been in. How do I know that? Because they didn't recognize the one the Scriptures were about. That came for them, specifically. So when you think about Israel, you have to know that all throughout the ages that God had made Israel a nation, for the most part, for the most part, they were black, they were backslidden. For, for the for the most part, not every moment, but for the most part of their history, they were backslidden. God give them an opportunity to see what He wants to give them, to, and takes twelve of them and shows it to them. Ten of the two, ten of the twelve come back and say, "Forget it, we can't have it." In other words, God's lying. But almost all the years that Israel was a nation, they were backslidden to the point God would even write them a decree of divorce. But he never stopped loving them. And I said something in my message Wednesday night that the Lord really quickened me about and and, I th- and he reminded me of it this week when I said last Wednesday night that when God found me as a Christian in a mess, a religious mess, I loved him. And I knew, and I've told you this a thousand times, the only thing I was completely sure of was that God loved me. But I was still a mess. I can know God loves me, and I can love God, but I can be in a spiritual mess, a theological mess. And that's where God found me, and that's where he's finding many of his people today. And it's been the story of God's people throughout the ages. Nothing's changed. A lot of Christians today think that just because we're under the new covenant and just because we have the permanent indwelling presence of God the Holy Spirit that we can't do exactly what they did under the old covenant. But my friends, it's taken place. I was found there. It's taken place. I was found. The Bible even says that it's going to take place. The Bible tells us to look back at what was written of old about them and to use that for our admonition, for our learning, not just hope and comfort of the Scriptures, but warning that comes because the Scriptures of old show us what pleased God and what angered God and the promises that God made to them. If you're with me, I'm with you, but you've got to be with me. If you see, if you seek me, you will find me guaranteed. They even reached a point in, in, in the first few verses of, of Isaiah chapter 1, you read this, that, that they reached a point where God says, I'm sick of your sacrifices. 
I'm sick of your, your, your the moons and the and the and the and the, and the feast that you that he told them to celebrate and to worship him by observing. But he says, "Now nah, I'm sick of it. It's nauseating me." He gets to a point. He says, "I hate it." But why? I, I hate your sacrifices. I, but he never said, "I hate you." Never, never forget that. As messed up as we have been, God never said, I hate you. He says, I still love you, and I'm still offering you. I'm still pointing you to what you must see, what you must accept. It's always been that way. It's still that way. You can have his spirit eat under the new covenant. You have his permanent indwelling presence. But it doesn't mean we're in fellowship with him. And what determines if we are or are not is what our faith is in, meaning if it's in the sacrifice of Christ, we're in fellowship with him. If it's not, God told Israel, he told Israel, he said, if you're not interested in my law, your prayers are an abomination. I want you to think about that. God told Israel, if you're not interested, if you shun my law, that means his word, your prayer is an abomination. I want you to think about that. People, How many Christians do you know today that don't give a hoot about the word of God? Y'all looking at me funny this morning. I hope you got a Bible at home you can read. How many Christians today not really, don't really care about the Word? Okay. All right. Let's read this again. Let's read in verse 3 of 2 Chronicles 15 before we go back and move through this. Now for a long season, Israel had been without the true God. They were still God's people, right? God still loved them, right? Absolutely. They were still God's people. God still loved them. And God is always trying to help them. They've been without the true God for a long season and without a teaching priest and without law. Why were they without a teaching priest and without law? It's because they didn't want to hear it. How many today are on their way to heaven, but they don't want to go hear the word of the Lord? How many today are on their way to heaven, and they don't mind going to hear the word of the Lord as long as it's not about all that sacrifice stuff, the cross, all the time? Israel got sick of the sacrifices. Y'all know that, right? Israel got sick of the sacrifices. Always got to be about the sacrifice. God has got all he wants to do is sacrifice. And they got to the point where they got to doing it because they knew they had to. But their hearts were not in it. To prove it, they'd go serve other gods because they were sick of this way of the cross. Don't be, don't be violated by that lie. You'll be violated. There's something there violating you. 
There's something there violating the church today when we say, yeah, and I, was, I know I speak from experience. I was being violated and abused by my own flesh that will rob me blind. Sin nature, rob me blind. Devil, he's behind it, but it's, that's his ground to function through. I know what it was like to hear this focus and turn it off and say, ah, I don't need that. I'm past all that. But then the Lord would have to reveal to me, no, that, that, that's all you need. You say you don't need that because you've, you must think you've got something else now. But that's really all you need is Jesus and what he did at Calvary because that's what saved your soul. That's what keeps you in fellowship with him. Not praying, not praise and worship, Faith, that stuff's good and needed, but faith in the blood's what keeps you in fellowship. Not praise and worship. Not praying. Because as I told you, Israel's prayers had become an abomination to God. Think about that. Hmm. Now in verse 4 it says, But when they in their trouble, here it is, here comes our faithful God, but when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. This reminds me of me. This reminds me of you. This reminds me of the Apostle Paul. This reminds me of Brother Swaggart. The answer for which you seek. Brother Swaggart, Brother Curtis, Brother Bo, the Apostle Paul, the answer for which you seek. And boy, we were seeking, wasn't we? We didn't really know what we were seeking, but God showed up to show us that which we were even seeking. We didn't even know what we were seeking. We just knew, man, this something ain't right, and it ain't everybody else that's the problem. I'm the problem. I'm the one that messed everything up. Can't blame all them people. Can't blame all them. They going to answer to God. I, I, I'm, I'm only going to answer for myself. And when I'm at the judgment seat of Christ, I'm going to be able to stand there and say, yeah, Brother Reno did this to me. No, the Lord, it's just me and him, not me and him and them. Just me and him. Promise is, I don't care how messed up you've been. I don't care how much wrong stuff you've taught, preached. If you start seeking God, you'll find Him. Because, but see, the thing about seeking God is, God sees the hearts of those who are truly seeking Him. There's a lot of outward show of seeking God, but God sees the heart that is seeking Him. And he will show that heart the covenant he made with his son on Calvary's tree. Because that's the only place he can be found. You can't find God off up on a cloud or in a tree bark. You can't find God just anywhere. God can't be found except in the person and the work of his son at Calvary. He can't be found anywhere else. And so when he says, when they in their trouble did turn to the Lord God of Israel, that mean, how did they do that? That means they admitted they were wrong. 
I'm the, tr- I'm the trouble. I've caused my trouble. I've not been seeking you. I've been going after these other things. And, Lord, I'm, all I know is I love you and I don't know nothing else. I've been wrong, though. Just admit you're wrong. That's the first step. I'm wrong. That's true repentance, isn't it? Not just I've done a bunch of bad things. Lord, I have been bad myself. Not just, Lord, I've, I, I've done wrong. I am wrong. I've been wrong. So I wanted to show you that this morning, that he tells them, if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Y'all know that's written in the New Testament too. If you suffer, you'll reign with him. But if you deny him, he will deny you, 2 Timothy 2 and 12. He will deny you. doesn't say he'll move out, but he'll deny you. What does that mean? He'll deny me. If I'm denying him, how, how, can, how can he not deny me if I'm denying him? If I'm denying him, the only one who can bring what I need, how can he bring what I need if I'm denying him? It's not hard. Now, the way we like to, we want to think of it is even when I'm denying him, I can go ahead and be in fellowship with him, but you can't. If you're denying his way of the cross, you're not in fellowship with who you think you are. And that's most of the church today. We don't hear about that cross stuff. You don't want to hear about the cross stuff? Then you can't understand any part of God's word properly. Because if it ain't dipped in the blood, we just passing stuff around between us. Amen. Y'all made me move down to the bottom. Let's go back to the top. Christ being at the right hand of God now is the reason we have his spirit. But the reason he's at the right hand of God now is because what he did on the tree at Calvary. Hmm. Although we have his spirit, and we've talked about it, we are not automatically walking in fellowship with him. But the potential is there moment by moment. I get in the flesh sometimes. I get hard-headed sometimes. I get stubborn sometimes. God's not in any of that. He's present for me to call on him for his help is there for me. But if I'm not submitted and subjecting myself to the way of Calvary, then I'm denying his help. His help comes through the cross. His help doesn't come to me because I say, I know from where my help comes from. His help don't come to me because I quote a scripture. His help comes to me when I reach for the place the door opened for all the help to come to me. Lord's really building on this great truth in my heart about the door that Jesus said he is. Twice he said he's the door in John chapter 10. Never forget this. Jesus is the door, but the cross, his death, is the hinge that opened that door. And when that door was opened in his death, God could speak through that. God 
had always really spoke about that. And his word had produced in the old covenant types and shadows of what would be one day. But when Jesus, as the door was opened by dying for us, God spoke through that death. That door was open then. That faith, Galatians 3 and 23, I think it is, says, or somewhere close to that, that faith came and the door opened the door and that door opened now gave us a place to put our trust and there's not another place you can put it in the whole universe. Not and be right with God. Jesus became the door that opened on Calvary's tree. And that is where by grace through faith he died for me. And when I believed unto that righteous work, I had to believe in that place of him dying for me. And when I did, I got the measure of his faith. I got the grace he tasted death by. I got his humility. I got his obedience, my Lord. And it's still, there ain't no end to what, his, what he has that I'm getting every moment as long as I keep feasting in that one place. It's the only place God opened and said, this is where your faith will be or it won't please me. If you missed the scarlet thread last night, I encourage you to go home quickly after church and watch it. Great, great show last night about faith. Awesome. Mm, I, think, I think one of them said, you, you, you couldn't even really, you couldn't believe if it weren't for the, the righteousness. How'd I say it? How'd they say it? The righteous work of Christ at Calvary is what allowed us to believe and is the very reward of what we did believe. Woo! Hallelujah! It's his righteous work in death that allowed me to believe. And for believing, it is my reward to be righteous before God, to, to stand before God, not because we preach or, or because we do it, because of what Jesus did. That's the righteous work of God. Mm, it was a powerful broadcast last night. So, just because we have his spirit doesn't mean we're in fellowship with him. But the potential is there. There's never a moment where the potential is not there. It's so good to see y'all today. All the way from Sicklerville, New Jersey. Man, this Andre family will show up anywhere. I've seen them in places. Hungry for the truth of the gospel. I, I know you're going to youth camp. That's why you're down. <laughs> oh, no, we just drove down for Sunday morning. <laughs> we sure love y'all. Appreciate you very much. Psalm 16 and 11, here's you a familiar scripture you've heard many years. And I hope you continue to hear it. Psalms chapter 16, verse 11. The first part of it, you never hear. The last part of it, you've heard many times. But it takes the first part to have the experience of the last part. First, the Bible here says, you will show me the path of life. 
In your presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I've heard that for so many years, the last part. In your presence is fullness of joy. But having his presence by having his spirit and having his spirit and being in fellowship with him are two different things. We've seen that in the scriptures now, so it cannot be denied. Brother Larson said three or four years ago, just in passing, he made a comment. He said, just because you have God's presence does not mean you have God's approval. He wasn't even teaching on that, but I ain't never forgot it because it's what we're talking about now. Just because I have God's presence, and I do because I have his spirit, doesn't mean I have his approval in that which I'm, even though I'm approved by him through the blood, but everything I do is not approved by him just because I'm saved. And obviously the church in Laodicea was not functioning in the faith which would have been making a place for Christ at the table of fellowship. Amen. So here we see you will show me the path of life. That's required. To to, to avoid that first part of being found on the path of life which is the path of righteousness through faith in the sacrifice, there's no need to quote that second part and try to claim it. Only as we're found, I'm talking about experience today by faith. You, You hear Angela, and I've noticed it many years now. She's been leading praise and worship for a long time, and every once in a while, more than every once in a while, she says, it's by faith. Y'all know, you've heard her say it. It's by faith. It's by faith. Everything you do or receive from the Lord is by faith. By faith. Even even your knowing that God loves you is by your faith. You don't know anything now except by faith. Just as the Spirit of God dwells in you, you can't pull him out and show him to me. But you know he dwells in you because the Scriptures tell you he does and you believe that. You can't see him, but you can be moved by him. And others who know the truth can experience him to a certain degree when you allow him to move you. Somebody speaks in other tongues. They're moved on by the spirit of truth. They speak in other tongues and someone interprets it over there. Did I not, was I not moved and stirred by that? Yes, I was. Mm. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. That's a whole other message there anyway. Everything you know or can receive is by faith. Nothing outside of that arena. Not, not, not with the Lord. 
In your presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Do you know why there are pleasures forevermore at God's right hand? Because Jesus is the one that God found forever pleasure in. He's the one at the right hand of God. He is the one who is the right hand of God. Jesus paid for our fullness of joy, did he not? He paid the price for our fullness of joy. He entered into heaven. He's in the presence of God. Who did he do it for? Us, the Bible says. He did it for us. Jesus paid for our fullness of joy. And when we're not experiencing that, we're being violated because of our flesh. Of our flesh. The lust of our flesh. Jesus paid for our fullness of joy, for the joy was set before him at the cross. Jesus is at the right hand of God and is the one our delight is in. He, listen, Jesus, the Bible says, at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. It's only because Jesus is there. It's only because he's there. Oh, the, the only way that there are pleasures forevermore in the presence of God and at his right hand is because Jesus is there. Listen, it took Jesus for the world to be created. And I'm not talking about just because Jesus did it as the word. It took him being slain. To even be the creator of the, of the universe, he first had to be slain. Before the foundation, before the creation, he had to be slain. Without the slain lamb, nothing could work between God and any man or really God and anything he would create. How do I know that? Because the whole earth is even groaning, not just people. Everything's groaning. You ever wake up and get the reality of that in the morning? I'm groaning. You woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Well, the whole world did. We're all groaning. <laughs> Amen. The one who is at the right hand of God is the fullness of what God has found pleasure in forevermore. God had never been pleased outside of Christ crucified. You say, well, he was pleased on, on the first day of creation. God made this and God made that and it pleased him. It, he said it was good. Again, the lamb was already slain before all that, so he could create something and call it good. The lamb slain is why? It would have no purpose. It would have, it would have, it would have no meaning if it weren't for the lamb slain. God already knew we'd mess up everything he ever gave us. I'm not talking about just the Garden of Eden. We mess up everything we put our stinking fleshly hands to. Not me, brother. You worse than anybody. Amen. Why are we talking about all this this morning? Because I don't, listen, I don't want you being oppressed by some lie going through your life thinking you got something going with the Lord that you don't. Your faith has to be in the sacrifice, and I don't have any doubt that anybody's faith is not there 
in this church. I'm not up here preaching all that I preach because I think they just ain't trusting in the cross. I think I, God has me preaching this because he don't want us to stop trusting in the cross. I'm not up here begging, y'all need to get back to Calvary. I'm up here saying don't leave. Don't leave it. Don't leave it. You can do it in a moment. You can come back in a moment, but you can look away for a moment. All it takes is a moment looking away. You get yourself in big trouble. God will still love you. He'll still take you back. It ain't like he got rid of you anyway. We say dumb stuff, don't we? He'll take you back. <laughs> it ain't like he left. The question is, will you take him back? you the one who walked away from him. <laughs> How many times we said that crazy? Well, God will take you back. No, God ain't never got rid of you. We do some dumb stuff. Till you start looking at everything through Calvary, you, you're not going to realize that a lot of things we've said are just dumb. You know God will take you back today, brother. Well, God ain't the one who got rid of nobody. We walked away. He's not changing. He's still where he was when you came to him the first time. He still feels about you like he did the first time you found him. Ain't nothing about him changed. We're the one. Amen. Let me read that again. It's a powerful statement. The one who is at the right hand of God is the fullness of what God has found pleasure in forevermore. Jesus, the one who was slain as the lamb. He still got the marks on him. You won't ever have marks on your precious new body, but he'll always hold the marks that he gave for you. Throughout all eternity, our minds will never leave the slain lamb. Who are we to try to rise above and move around that now? Hmm. Jesus even said, as you're praying, pray that God's will on earth be as it is in heaven. Well, when I look in the Bible and it shows me what's going on in heaven, I, I think, well, I ought to be think worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and honor and glory. and bless. I said, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive everything that I need. Hmm. The pleasures that are at God's right hand are Christ as his righteousness. Here's your scripture. Now, I'm getting ready to close today, all right? I told you plenty ahead of time. Isaiah 41 and 10. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Can anybody here today expect to receive a word from the Lord? Can anybody here today really expect to hear from God today? I pray if, if that be you, you can receive this right here today. Fear thou not, because I'm with you. Be not dismayed, because I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Who is the right hand of God's righteousness? Jesus. He's upholding us today by Christ through His Spirit. I want to be in fellowship with the one of whom I have His Spirit. I had to 
go through that horrible knock, I turned the radio off at the first time I heard the knock. I'd hear about it every morning when I'd go to work. Before work started, a dear brother of mine, Brother Richard Rojas, would be there and God would be using him every morning standing out on that dock. He'd quote scripture to me and say, do you see how you see the cross in this? And I'd say, no, I don't see that. I, I, I don't, no, I don't, I don't know. I don't see that there, brother. Y'all wonder where Kevin was going. He's going to play that piano. You can go ahead and get ready if you want to. I'm telling you about my experience. Every morning, Brother Richard would be out there telling me, look at this verse, Brother Curtis. Look at points to Calvary. I can't see that. I loved God. I loved Jesus. I'm not hearing that. God wouldn't stop. My Jesus wouldn't stop. He's not stopping now. That's why we're still here, because he's not stopping now. We won't move away from what causes the knock on the door, what produces it. We won't move away from this message. He's called us. He's calling all his people back to a place of fellowship where it's not just to excite men. It's not just to be approved by men. But it's back in that place where we literally, by faith, have the experience of being upheld with his right hand of righteousness. He kept knocking. He's still knocking. And I kept rejecting. I kept thinking, I, what I got going is I was in a mess. But I, think about that now. I was in a spiritual mess, and he was offering me the one answer. There's not two. He was offering me the one answer, and I was rejecting the answer. But I loved the Lord, and I knew he loved me. He was knocking. He kept on knocking. And I really cannot explain exactly how it happened other than I kept hearing, I kept hearing about the cross. I kept hearing the scriptures in the light of the cross. And because I was very interested in the word of God, and he kept showing me the scriptures about the cross of Christ. And there came a moment where I said, I see it. I see it. It wasn't me doing something. It was him doing something. He loves you so much that that knock can become like a dripping faucet in the middle of the night. Because he won't let you alone. You're his. He won't let you alone. You are his. And in all reality, the 
according to the scriptures, we are his and he is ours. He won't stop knocking. He'll knock on the door all the way to the to the grave and even though we end up in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ and have to at that point learn what we should have learned. We're going to learn a lot of stuff there. But God forbid the bulk of the church have to show up at the judgment seat of Christ and learn that they had their faith in the wrong object all their Christian lives. That they were faking it. They weren't faking how they felt about God. But their experience was not real. Their experience was not real because they were out of fellowship with Jesus. They had his spirit. That doesn't guarantee fellowship. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Last verse, Psalms 23 and 4. You know it well. You don't even need your Bibles. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Is that more than a Bible verse for you? Because you're with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Those today in this very hour that God is calling which is all the church back to their first love. That's not back to a feeling and an emotional place. And we get ridiculed for even using those words. We get blasted for using those words, but I won't stop because it goes far beyond feelings and emotions, though we have them, and rightly so. It goes far beyond what we feel or our emotions. The Lord brings us back to the place He planted us in the beginning. He planted us in the likeness of His Son's death. And only from that seed of the woman that was planted in death do the roots come out of to establish us in the faith so that we can grow up out of that planting as the trees of God's righteousness. Please be in fellowship with your Lord. Never stop looking at what He did for you at Calvary and trusting in that with your heart. Many people say, I just don't see the cross in the Scriptures like he or she does. There's no condemnation in that, but He wants you to. There's no condemnation in that, but he wants you to. As Andrew said on his little broadcast last night, we don't, fo- we, don't fit the cr- we don't force the cross into nothing. It's already there. It's already there. Those who reject it are rejecting the knock on the door. Those who finally surrender. I'm talking about Christians today. Those who finally surrender to who the Word is really all about. Christ, not us. Those who surrender to who and what the Word is really all about. 
then the Lord will be able to open their eyes to the truth. And they can awaken unto righteousness and learn how to walk in freedom and liberty from the oppression that will keep you from fellowship with your Savior. Amen. God loves you today more than you and I can imagine. That love is what caused all of everything he's ever done. You understand that? If the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world, that means that's what it was just really, it was before the foundation of the world, God's love abounded above all things because the New Testament writing tells us that what Jesus did at Calvary, 1 John 4, 9 and 10, tell us in that, in this, herein is the love of God. The cross is the revelation of God as love. And that was before the foundation of the world. And the reason he's raising up men and women alike in these last few moments of this age that he is about to pull the curtain on is because he's trying to save the lost and bring a wandering church back to faith and grace, back to fellowship with him. Not just each other, but with Him. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning?